Hi, everyone, and welcome to Beautiful Minds. Today, we're joined by Kimia Kalbasi, founder of Kimia's Cravings. She has broken the barrier as a blogger and influencer in a world highly saturated with food, travel, and lifestyle content. She continues to align and brand herself as a skilled and experienced social media strategist and consultant, working on everything from branded content campaigns to influencer placements to customized media kits. Kimia, you are now widely regarded as the voice of millennials and a role model in business, and we can't wait to learn more about you and some of your success secrets. But first, welcome to Beautiful Minds. How are you? Oh, thank you so much for the wonderful intro. I'm doing well um, amidst of all this craziness, but overall staying positive, resilient, and optimistic and taking it day by day. How are you all? Good, good. Pretty much the same. What about you, Stas? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how is everything affected on your side in terms of business, in terms of the campaigns you had planned? I know last week we had a chat and you said there's some stuff that's coming to the pipeline. Absolutely. Um, so it, things have been shifting left and right. Um, I have a lot of campaigns that have been put on pause or delayed, and then there are still some that are ongoing. So it's a matter of staying nimble and um, staying on my toes in terms of latest updates and then on uh, the work front also um, because I also work full-time for a telemedicine startup so um, it's, it's also being malleable in that sense of uh, transitioning our content to align with what's going on in the world and aligning with our voice but not being tone deaf in the in the midst of a crisis yeah interesting it's good that you're being adaptable and, you know, shifting things around as they need to be, because I think in a time of crisis, people do panic a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. And so tell us a bit about yourself then. How did you start the food blog that became so famous? Oh, oh let's see. Where shall I begin? Like, would you like the Sparknotes version or the... As the glamorous as it can thing. get. <laughs> <laughs> like, or the whole enchilada, pun intended. <laughs> Enchilada, go for it. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, honestly, I would say it roots back to ever since I was really little when back in school when they would ask, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? And my response is always to become a journalist. And it's funny because I think today's uh, social media content creators essentially emulate the modern day journalist, whether that's like if you're a food blogger, you, you're kind of like the, the social media version of a Bon Appetit or like if you're a fashion, you're like, Vogue, etc. So, um, and then there's a lot of uh, politically outspoken influencers out there as well. So, depending on your niche and interest, um, and then going back to my story, um, I remember growing up uh, with my parents. I'd always loved watching the news and just knowing what's going on in the world. And as I was getting older, I remember when I was 15, they introduced me to the concept of uh, law of attraction and. Uh, making a vision board and all that and I always knew that I loved people and documenting and writing and events and all that kind of stuff and I, I, I knew what my interests were but I didn't know what exactly that job title encompassed exactly or like, I didn't know what that job title was exactly so I remember um, I made a vision board that featured the kinds of like charities I wanted to partake in um, the kinds of things I wanted to do um, and with that, I remember 
So I would, I'd always have been in jobs like I used to work at In-N-Out. I've been at hostesses at several restaurants. I always had, or like I was a tutor at one point. I always had those kinds of jobs. But right before I transferred to UC Santa Barbara, um, I remember I originally was an econ major, but I changed to communication. I was like, okay, I want to find some kind of job or internship that will help me align and help figure out what I want to do within the communication major. So I remember the year or two before I graduated, or before I entered uh, UCSB, I took on a PR internship. Back then, uh, unpaid internships were a thing. So I remember I would commute from um, Orange County to LA uh, a couple times a week. And I took on this um, internship. Uh, it, was, it was a boutique agency called Melrose PR. Um, I was interning for them for a while. And I remember at the time, my boss, her name was Kelly with an E-Y. I'll, I'll explain why that's relevant, why the spelling of her name is relevant. But she took me out to lunch with her friend Kat. And Kat at the time was writing for Us Weekly. So I'm sitting at lunch with Kelly and Kat. And um, I was enamored by Kat because at one point I wanted to be a, a celebrity reporter journalist. So I remember I was asking Kat, oh, like, how did you get into like Us Weekly in the world of like celebrity reporting and all that? And then she told me like, oh, to be honest, I'm actually trying to get out of it. Um, Hollywood's such a soul-sucking industry. And she had interviewed all the A-listers and all that. And I was like, oh my God. But um, anyway, she told me she was trying to get out of it. So with that in mind, fast forward, uh, first job out of college, I was working at Oracle. So nowhere close to what I wanted to do. I was selling enterprise uh, hardware um, and cold calling and I remember like halfway through my tenure there, I was on LinkedIn prospecting and I stumbled upon Kat's LinkedIn profile and I saw she was no longer um, with Us Weekly. She was writing, she was no longer in LA either. She was like now in SF uh, writing for a food and travel website called The Daily Meal. And then that's when the light bulb ticked. I was like, oh, I wonder, like I already have a full-time job. Like I want to do something for fun that would, you know, Help me like have a creative outlet. So I messaged her. I was like, "Hey, cat, long time no talk receive." Like, um, like the warm, nice message. And at the end, I outright asked her, "Like, hey, can I write for the Daily Meal too?" And she responded not too long after, and she was like, "Oh my god, it's so great to hear from you." Um, like, yeah, of course. Like, just so you know, it wouldn't be a paid opportunity, but it would be great to. Uh, it would be great for you to expand your write writing portfolio. And at the time, I didn't even think like I didn't care for a paid opportunity I just wanted to do something genuinely for fun um, because even sometimes on a Monday I would like get home before 5 p.m. so I was like I just want to do something on the side so yeah I was essentially faking it till I made it I just remember as I started oh she introduced me to the um, editor-in-chief at the time her name was Chelsea who's one of my good friends now so this is when I was also at the same time obsessed with social media. I'd always document everything I was doing. I would always like showcase what I was eating, where I was going with my friends, all that. So with that said, at the same time, when I got connected to Chelsea, um, I would get all these invites to all these different restaurants and events and all that, like hotel openings to like write about them. So as I was doing that in my head, this is before the term influencer was even coined. So I just remember like, oh, cool, like more cool pictures for my Instagram. So I just remember as I was writing these articles, I would document everything I was doing um, from like going to these places and like talking about my experiences. And then as I was doing this for a long time, I remember one day Chelsea forwarded me an invite 
and it came from someone named Kelly with an EY. And then I just remember thinking to myself, like, oh my God, how funny would that be if this was my boss for my first PR internship like years ago? Uh. Yeah. And then I scrolled down and it said, Kelly Coughlin, founder of Melrose PR. And I literally got the chills. I was like, oh my goodness. Like, wow. Because of Kelly, I met Kat and Kat connected me to Chelsea. And here's Chelsea bringing me back to Kelly. Like, it was a full circle of the networking. And I remember I called Kelly and we were like laughing on the phone. And to this day, she'll ask me for advice on like social media marketing and like, how do you get press trips? How do you do this? How do you do that? I'm like, oh my God, I learned so much from you. So, um, like, never underestimate the power of networking and all that. Like, but that's a whole different situation. So with that said, as I was doing this so consistently, um, I remember one time a friend from high school reached out to me and she's like, hey, Camille, like, I'm so surprised with all these cool places you go to. You never started a food blog. And she was always that friend that always asked me like, oh, where's this? Where's that? So then that's when the light bulb ticked again. And I was like, oh, like I should rebrand myself. And at the time, um, my handle was Kimia Kalabasi. It was just my name. And I showcasing me and my friends or like whatever I was doing and around that time I had a little under 2,000 followers and I was debating on starting from scratch like having a whole new account or building something from what I had so I was like you know what I have something here let me develop this audience I have so I um I still have the notes in my phone from years ago and I was brainstorming like hungry heart feels for meals and it was actually my cousin Parisa who suggested to me Kimia's cravings because she knew my favorite literary device is alliteration and um she was also saying how cravings can expand beyond food like she's like oh what if you like go into like health and like fitness or like beauty and stuff like that one day so i was like wait i love that idea so then that's when i changed it to kimia's cravings and ever since then i was always writing for the daily meal and documenting everything i was doing and because this was the most consistent thing i've ever done in my life to be honest um i just kept going and i wasn't generally I was doing this for fun and I remember because I always had a full-time job while I was doing it I'd always my parents would always be like Kimia like what are you like 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 focus on your full-time job like what are you doing you're not making money from this like I'm like no this is like I'm like this is gonna work out like just you watch so anyways that is how all that started very interesting and how long has this been going for now uh I'd say almost four years now four Uh, years wow and if you were to, what is your goal with regards to this? What are you hoping, uh, where are you hoping to go from here? Oh, that's a great question. Um, uh, there are definitely a multitude of, of paths I'd like to, to see myself go. Um, first and foremost, above all, I would love to host a TED Talk like about whether that's on influencer marketing or staying positive and optimism I think that's for me personally that's a huge component um, that has helped me along the way I I would love to host a TED talk or um, have my own panel on certain topics or also I would love to because I've worked with so many different brands I'd love to have a co-branded line whether that's an athleisure company etc so something along the lines of um, basically helping other people and then also um, something with having my own merchandise essentially yeah amazing yeah very interesting Kimmy, i want to touch a bit on um when you talked about having two thousand followers and then you weren't sure whether you're going to start from scratch or build on what you had i agree i think what you did was very sensible but then would you tell the people out there who think oh i'm too scared to show a new side to myself i'm too scared to rebrand myself in the eyes of my friends and family 
I'm not saying you have 2,000 friends or family members, but you know, a lot of people there would know you quite well. Was there an element of fear in you? Um, it's funny I ask that because to be honest, to this day, I still have some fear in me in terms of like, it's, I think it's, everything goes back to mindset. So if you don't, like, of course, number one, own that fear. But number two, if you don't do it, no one else is going to do it for you. And like, if you really want something, you're going to do whatever it takes to make it work. So I feel like for me, no matter how much fear I was always instilled within um, whatever I was doing, I would still go for it. Because I'm like, honestly, what's more fearful at the end is not going for it. And then with regards to the money, I know your parents mentioned that you weren't making anything at the time. Did that scare you as well? Um, yes. Uh, to be honest, like, and everything that I was doing, there was always that fear factor, for lack of a better word. Uh, but I think my, my hunger for what I, was go what I was going after overpowered the fear that I had. Interesting. It's interesting you talk about owning your fear. I think there's a lot of that advice being thrown around, but then actually putting into action is um, it's quite difficult for people. And were there anything specific that you thought, uh, you know, helped you overcome the fear, like maybe a role model or any, anything else like that? That's a great question. Um, I, I mean, I've always have truly looked up to my parents, but I think for myself, I... I knew who I wanted to become. So I think that for me was the role model I was essentially trying to emulate, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you had an idea of yourself in your mind of who you wanted to be. And that was basically, that's something you looked up to, basically yourself in the future. Is that, is that right? Yes, exactly. Wow. Okay. Very interesting. And what about, you've mentioned a few people that you've worked with previously um do you feel that you looked up to them as well oh the the people that i had worked with throughout the like the networking and all yeah oh exactly 100%. i the fact that i still keep in touch with them like it's so i think is a huge indicator of that it goes yeah. back yeah. to the power of relationships um so no i definitely i i have even for instance when i was uh, sharing with you the editor-in-chief Chelsea at the time who's still one of my good friends um like we like I was actually talking to her yesterday so I think I've learned so much from her throughout this journey she's helped me in so many different ways um so yes I, I would say that they they played a role in being role models as well yeah very interesting yeah I want to come back to that topic on alter ego because I know we talked about that in the past um Kimia. But um, just firstly, I want to talk about your background and your family, because I know your background is Persian. And as you know, my mom is Persian as well. So I understand that, you know, sometimes high performance is, is crucial, you know, in order to have that status in the family. Did you ever feel that that was kind of almost, um, I don't know, like a, a trampoline effect kind of to lift you up even more, having that behind you? Oh, a hundred thousand percent. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially because as I'm sure you uh, empathize with, like, especially in our culture, it's like you become a doctor or engineer or yeah. um, something or a lawyer of that nature. Yeah. But um, I was, you know, I was a communication major. I, um, I didn't immediately go four years. I, I didn't immediately uh, go to UCSB, for instance, 
four years, like I went to community college. So there were definitely those factors that were essentially not of that, that mold that a lot of Persians or a lot of Persian parents push their uh, kids to go towards. So um, there was always that pressure um, around that time. But um, it's funny because at the same time, I always learned, my mom always told me it's not about where you start, it's about where you end. So I think like no matter how, whatever you start with, whatever those building blocks are, it's like, it's, it's ultimately the journey that t uh, takes you there and then what you can do with what you have. And obviously food was a crucial factor because we all know Persian food is the best. <laughs> exactly. I love this in June. Oh yes. Gourmet sabzi as well. Well, on, on that topic, what is your favorite type of food, Kimia? Oh, that's a great question. I love, oh my God. Okay, well, my favorite food of all time is sweet potatoes because you can do so much with them and I just love the taste. Um, okay. But, uh, I can also live off sushi. Like I love seafood. I love sashimi. Um, and like I, overall, I've always liked um, healthy food. So like, like I love like how you can get creative with salads and seafood. So I would say, I mean, I definitely just listed a bunch, but. Yeah. And if you had to pick a cuisine, uh, as being your favorite, what would you say? Oh, that's hard. Okay. Uh, no fusions. <laughs> okay. No fusions. You can only pick one. Okay. Uh, if I had to pick one, I would say... Hmm. Don't disappoint. It's, <laughs> it's a tie between Mediterranean and I love also like California. You know, like California, like, like fresh, like farmer to fresh whatever the term is farm to table type food so i'd say it's either mediterranean or like california farm to table type food okay i see interesting yeah. yeah and have you traveled anywhere where you thought the food was very unique oh that's a great question um i remember when i was really little uh, we went to germany um i just remember there were so many donor stands over there but have you guys had donors before? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Many times. <laughs> like every corner. <laughs> um, yeah, but the ones in Germany are very good, um, especially in Berlin, because they had a high influx of Turkish workers, um, I think in the 60s. And, you know, I think they brought their food, their culture, media. Um, and now, obviously, today they have a lot of influence inside their gastronomy. Absolutely. Yeah. When you mentioned sashimi, I remembered um, when I went to Japan, I tried chicken sashimi. So essentially oh. raw chicken, right? Wow. How interesting. How was that? Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, I, I don't think I would have it again, uh, especially with all the stuff now in the media about different types of food. I'm trying to be a bit more sensible, let's say. Um, less yeah, <laughs> surely, like, can it be dangerous? Because, you know... The... I mean, I was fine. I, I hope. I slammed. <laughs> you're here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, no, it was very nice yeah i think they they treat it or they put some sort of marination on it whereby i don't know dangerous bacteria doesn't develop i don't know if that's yeah, yeah i was going to ask like don't they um wouldn't they because i know raw it's still cooked to some degree like there's a limitation to that like i'm i'm assuming it wasn't completely raw was it i think um if i remember correctly there was like this kind of um whitish color on the top but then you could clearly see that in the middle it was pink it was raw it wasn't it wasn't cooked in the middle at all oh wow um, 
and then they put some sort of um, vinegar or oil on top of it. Um, but seasoning, garnish, I don't know. It, it wasn't just like plain chicken on a plate and like here, eat it with chopsticks. It was like nicely cut, thinly sliced, um, you know, side dishes as well. It wasn't just that. That, that wasn't just the main focus. Um, wow. That so it was very interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So going back to the alter ego, um, I know you mentioned that you almost looked up to the best version of yourself in your mind. Um, is that something that you still do? Have you changed that alter ego as time's gone on? Oh, absolutely. It's funny because when I first started, it, it I was a lot, I would showcase my day to day, whether that was like what I was doing uh, for like going to events and all that kind of stuff from like a chemist cravings perspective or like showcasing what I was doing as, you know, Kimi Kalbasi with her friends or like hanging out with her family or like showing, like showcasing what I would do in my day-to-day -day routine and all that. But I would say as time has gone on, um, I have definitely become a lot more, um, I, I would say reserved in terms of like of what I share. And then especially given the times, like sometimes, I mean, just to give an example of like what we're going through now, it, doesn't feel quite right yet to post as much as I did before, but I would say now my alter ego, it's kind of like, I, I would say my alter ego as Kimia's Cravings, that's still who I emulate to become in terms of, like, I'm not 100,000% like happy-go-lucky 24-7, like who, nobody is, you know what I mean? Like that's not yeah. realistic, but like there are, I would say Kimia's Cravings is a part of who I am, but that is not 100% of who I am. Like this is a, essentially a persona I've created or like a, a performance version of myself in terms of the person who's always showcasing um, like this, this fun lifestyle of like going out to eat or like doing this and doing that or like, um, so I would say it's more so of a persona that inhibits a lot of qualities that I admire that I have, but a lot of qualities that I also want to um, expand more on and uh, develop more. Does it ever get too much? Oh, absolutely. Sometimes I'll find myself where I'm like, okay, I need a break. Like, because I, I feel like I'm on 24 seven, whether that's online, offline. So sometimes I, this is still something that I'm working on an, on a day-to-day -day basis of like, where's the middle ground? Because obviously this is a brand develop, that I've developed and you can't just shut it off. But at the same time, like, um, I still um, want to have a private life where I can, you know, be disconnected. But then, I mean, we're all in this together where it's like, we want to be disconnected, but we can't be fully disconnected. So, um, but yes, that is an ongoing work in progress. How do you disconnect though? Um, how, for me, disconnecting is not, like, for instance, I have limitations on my phone where I won't, like, Believe it or not, I have it so that I can't go on social media for more than thirty minutes a day. Wow! So, like, I'll go on, I'll go in spurts. Like, for instance, let's say five minutes here, five minutes there, and it adds up. Like, we all think, oh, I'm just gonna check whatever for five minutes, and then you're like, oh my goodness, where did the time go? So thirty minutes. Um, wow. Yes, and that's including that. That's across all the platforms. So, and then also because I've been doing it this for so long, it gets to a point where you don't feel the need to, because 
there was a point I would, I used to do it, I suppose, a couple times a day or like um, every day, but um, given, of course, like how the platforms themselves are changing, there isn't so much a need for that. And then also as you're building your brand, like, this also allows you to have time to revisit like what kind of strategy you, you want to um, proceed with or like how do you want to like how do you want to continue so those kinds of things and um so just like having a, that mental break um really makes a difference and you so, feel yeah. a lot more you're headed so where do you sit on tiktok for example because i know that's a new platform that a lot of people like yourself are going to start exploring and <laughs> you've talked about how you limit how much time you spend on social media but then you kind of have to learn how this new platform works and what's going on and who's the who's the main player there that is so funny that you asked that because I actually downloaded it yesterday. Uh, yesterday, okay. For my because for my uh, for my role at the startup, um, I'm going to be um, essentially spearheading organic um, content for our TikTok channel. So that I'm going to be doing a lot of. It's so funny because it's like if you tell someone like let's say a boomer that like oh I'm doing I, I'm I downloaded TikTok for research. It's like that is literally my job. So. Um, I'm going to be playing around with TikTok myself and um, I'm excited to see, it's funny because I, I, am, I am well aware of TikTok and it's, um, it's basically um, the, base, the, the main point behind it and all that, but um, I've heard that it's just like we're all consumed by Instagram as it is, like TikTok is the next, is next level, so I'm going to be wary of that, even though it's for my full-time job. What do you mean by next level? It's next level in terms of, because the, the, the way that the, uh, the platform is created, it's constant feedback loop of content after content after content after content, and it's, it's more so raw content, and there's less, of, less pressure for curated content, so it's more so people like dancing around, having a good time. And some people, people, it, people's creativity blows my mind. So it's like, you know, one thing leads to another. And then next thing you know, you're like up till 3 a.m. And there goes your day. Yeah. And this, you feel, oh, go ahead. So you feel like TikTok basically, um, like the content can be so good that you can spend way too much time in it without even, you know, realizing. Is that, is that right? Yes, and this is solely based on the. This is solely based on um, people's uh, reviews on it that I've heard, or like p colleagues and people in the industry and friends that I've heard from. So that's why I'm like, okay, I downloaded it yesterday. Let's see how this goes. Yeah, and so in terms of that, you know, in terms of spending too much time on it or not not spending enough time and not creating enough content like where where is the balance for you oh that's a million dollar question even for instance even when i was telling sharing with you the my restriction parameters like there is a there is a fine line because it's like this is what i've created and this is part of my livelihood so it's like you, that's why you can't fully disconnect but um yeah it's like i think it differs it, it truly differs person to person but for me personally, because I just feel like I'm, or I, I am someone who's, when I put something, put my energy into something, it's a hundred thousand percent. 
So yeah. it's like all or nothing. And I do that in person and I do that online. So so when I shut down, I like have to shut down to zero. Yeah. So would you say that when you create a piece of content, you'll put basically a lot of energy into it to make it perfect rather than creating, you know, lots of content that's, you know, not going to be as good. Is that right? Yeah, like the Gary Vee style. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Like that, that's personally what I think works for me. And then also because for me, creating content, it goes beyond the visual assets. It go, also goes into deeper where most of the, the behind the scenes that no one sees, whether that's like the administrative part of what I do, which is like pitching, let's say 50 plus brands a day, or like being in constant communication back and forth with different brands and PR agencies and publicists. Um, so there's that, that's where a lot of also the energy goes into. And um, it's, it's funny because a lot of people think it's simply, because everybody has access to these channels, people think it's like, oh, simply it's like taking a cute picture and like whatever and getting paid for it. But it's like, oh, nobody sees the logistics behind it or like the contracts and the negotiations and um, all that back and forth that goes into it. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. So Kimmy, at the beginning, you talked about how um, you wanted to promote uh, healthier lifestyles and, and uh, healthier ways of eating, like satisfying people's cravings with food uh, in healthy ways. And then now we're just talking about how you've delivered that. And sometimes it can be a bit unhealthy in terms of how much screen time you have, how much energy you put into content versus the rewards. What's your relationship with health in general? Like, what does it mean to you? Oh, well, that is a great question because in full transparency um healthy eating has been definitely it's honestly ironic that food blogging became my niche because i always had a very convoluted relationship with food um i remember what around my teenage years like 15 16 especially going back to the persian roots or like a lot of people can relate to this i'm sure it's not like a persian problem but coming from a very big family of dominantly women. Um, when we'd go to gatherings, um, like the number one thing that's always commented on is like your weight or appearance or uh, or is your boyfriend or like that, those kinds of things. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember when I was younger, um, my weight was always the utmost, most commented thing on like, it's like, oh, um, you know, like I was not, very skinny but like at some point so then um I just remember that I just remember it put a toll on me mentally and emotionally because I wasn't happy with how I looked and then obviously when family members bring that to your attention um especially when you're like 15 16 like you're so young and your brain is developing and all that kind of stuff so um I just remember there was a point in time where when I was 16 I lost 30 pounds in um in three months and because I was religiously counting like calories and like how much I worked out and like constantly going on the scale and it was it was it was more so mentally abusive than physically because um you know like you're just putting so much stress on yourself in terms of like oh this is going to be when my next meal is this is how much I ate today like I had such strict parameters for myself like I would wake up at five in the morning and like make this like oatmeal and then like three hours later and this is back when like the do you guys remember when like the five meals a day every three hours was popular and so there's always like a new fad but yeah 
Mm. I remember that's what I was practicing and I would eat past seven and um, if it was past seven, I would, I would get so upset with myself and beat myself up. So anyways, um, I just remember I like, it got to a point where I was uh, like on the underweight side, under, yes, it's the, what do you call it? Yeah, the underweight side of things. So anyways, it was not, it was not a fun time, but um, I just remember everything goes back to mindset. So I just remember it got to a point where I always had a, a plateau with um, my weight and I, or I had always hit like a, what do you call it? A yo-yo where uh, I just, I had a very convoluted relationship with food. So that is something that I've um, learned to, what do you call it? Maintain. But yeah, no, it's interesting because I actually get very emotional during this topic because it, it reminds me of those times. But, um, but yeah, no, but it, it's definitely a hard hitting subject. But have you had people reach out to you about the topic? Um, yes and no, because it's funny because I sometimes I've debated on being open about it to this level or like it, it goes on to a deeper level, but sometimes sometimes I've debated, like I, I've written a blog post about it, but I never publicized it or like promoted it because I personally feel very sensitive to the topics. But at the same time, I know that it would also, it could help even one person. So it, more so on one-on-one -on -one conversations, if it comes up, then that's when I share my story, but it's not something that I've openly shared with the world. Yeah. Do you think more influencers like yourself should come out and talk about it more? Oh, definitely. And there are, I would say there is a, a fair share, at least in the community that I follow or know personally that some people speak up on it. But I think because for myself, I've developed more so of a, I, and then it goes back to the balance of like, okay, where do you want to be like this, like hundred thousand percent, like optimistic, funny, like go lucky, happy go lucky type of persona versus like also like showing that you're a real person. And, you know, it's not all about like, these like fun workout fits or like these like food puns and all that kind of stuff. So that's also something that I'm uh, figuring out myself as well. Yeah. There's an element of discipline in there where you don't want to reveal too much. Exactly. exactly. Even if it's tempting. Yeah. Because I know you're actually quite popular for being relatable to your audience. So I imagine there's times where you might want to cross that line and give a bit more about yourself, but then you've had to kind of, say no that would be too much right absolutely because then i also go back and forth where sometimes i'm like okay i look at kimia's craving solely as a business like i i want to focus more on like sponsored posts and then like with a sprinkle of content uh, organic here and there but then at the same time sometimes like i i'm very open about my vulnerability like like between like my close friends and family but then sometimes i'm like oh do i want to share that online but so anyway, that's like, it's, it's definitely been a back and forth question in my head. Mm. What are some of the biggest myths you think there are out there for influencers? Oh, there are so many. It's hysterical. And whenever I see memes like poking fun at influencers, I laugh with them because I think because they are true and they are, they are lighthearted and I can relate to them. Like even for, just to give you an example, uh, somebody, I saw a meme, it was like poking fun at like, um, like oh, especially with, you know, with, with like so many influencer campaigns being postponed, 
for like Coachella and South by Southwest and all that. There, so there was like someone saying like, oh, cons of right now, like uh, the biggest con is like uh, our economy hurting. And then there, somebody was like, pros, um, no more influencers asking you to swipe up on essential oils. <laughs> <laughs> essential oils. So it's like, you know, I like, how can you not laugh at that? Because we all, we all know an influencer that does that, myself included. So um, I'd say, okay, the number, I'd say the biggest one is, I, I know that the influencer industry comes off very superficial and, um, but when you get to know certain people, like, obviously I can't speak for all of them, but the ones that I know, we are people at the end of the day like like some people look at it solely as a business some people are super vulnerable like it's I look at it as like I look at the influencer world as if you know whether someone is whether some like regardless of what career you're in it is it that's what brings um, money for them whether they do it full-time or a part-time basis um, I think I think of it as like another uh, as another industry like as if it is for anybody else, if that makes sense. So what do you say to the people out there who want to become an influencer because they think it's glamorous, but they've never actually truly saved it? Oh, I can definitely tell you right off the bat, it looks so much more glamorous than it truly is. Um, yes, I would say, I mean, I'm all for encouraging people to do whatever they want to do, whether that is also becoming an influencer regardless. Like, even though the space is so saturated, what space isn't saturated? But um, I would say like, go for it and don't let those vanity metrics stop you. But I would say just know that it is, um, because I think of it as like a sales job where it's commission only, where you're essentially hustling for opportunities and it's not like you're getting paid by the hour. Um, so That's I would say, yes. So I would say it's more so it's, there's a lot more um, administrative and um, what do you call it? Yeah, I'd say it's a lot more administrative than it is so um, glamorous. I mean, the glamorous aspects of it, I'm so appreciative of are great, but there's a lot more blood, sweat, and tears than that meets the eye. So in terms of what the what people actually see, like what percentage would you say that is, you know, of... Uh, of the whole percentage of being an influencer? Um, what would I say is a percentage of, of? Of like the bits that people see. So, you know, they see the glamour and the, uh, all the other things. Like what percentage would you say that is uh, of being an influencer? And what percentage do people not see? That's a great question. In all honesty, I would say it's, I want to say half and half, but I want to more so say 60, 40. Okay. Um, because yeah, no, the glamorous parts of it are amazing, but it, it's, that's all that we see. So then it, it always just reminds me of like, oh my God, like just like what we've seen on television and in the media, it just really goes to show how things look, appear so much more glitzy and easy than they really truly are. Um, even just to give an example, like I've done a couple TV segments and once you're behind the camera, it's so much more different than like when you're a viewer. Like, yeah. But, or, I mean, e or even when you're thinking of being behind the camera, being on camera is just a whole new thing, isn't it? Oh yeah. I have a, I have a newfound respect for YouTubers and 
yeah like, personalities that like I mean for, for some people it comes so naturally but I'm one of those people like I I will stumble like 50 million times until I get it right yeah yeah very interesting and in terms of the projects that you've worked on what are some of the favorite brands you've worked with favorite projects where have you learned the most oh like, well to be a little lighthearted within this within the current climate we're in um, my favorite campaign has definitely been working with Charmin um, I can definitely say I am grateful for the fact that I didn't need to join in on the the online uh, pan unnecessary panic for toilet paper because I was like oh I still have toilet paper from this campaign from like four months ago <laughs> but um, <laughs> But it, it, what I I would say like that that was definitely from utilitarian perspective that was my favorite campaign to work on. But in all honesty, I would say my favorite campaigns have been besides that one. Oh, I remember I worked with Uber a couple years ago. It was very experiential in the sense that this was during the launch of their Uber Visa card, and they flew out some influencers. This is when I was living in New York, and I remember they flew out some. Um, influencers in New York to LA and which year was this this was a 2017 okay three years oh, ago three years ago yes um, they created this really cool itinerary around promoting the uber visa card and they did such awesome things for us from like we dined at Nobu we went to Katy Perry's old house and we met Kevin Hart it was just it was one of those experiences that you'll never forget and it was really fun it was just like so LA the way they made it and because it's not like that's not an everyday thing it was a very special experience and the fact that they allowed us to get as creative as we wanted in terms of showcasing how one could use the card um that was really fun i've always really appreciated those immersive experiences um and, and how do you feel the consumer felt when they saw that um i would say i, I remember i received a lot of positive feedback in terms of like oh my god like this is so cool or the, that that type of nature um, but I, I think because it was more so out of the box from like the day to day, um, I think that's what, um, made it appealing to the audience. Do you think the effects of influencers are still as strong as ever? Or do you think a lot of them are being exposed now and, you know, their credibility is almost not as valued as it was before? I would say it's more so that the consumers, um, are, are, more adept to knowing what's happening um like they're aware of whether an influencer shares the hashtag ad or like they're very the consumer is very well aware when something is paid for and mm. um if anything i would say that i can see how that can have the negative sides but from a from a positive standpoint it would showcase like okay they are credible because they are working with x brand and the fact they are getting monetized for it um i think that shows that the, the influencer knows how to market themselves because there are so many influencers that have hundreds of thousands of followers and they don't have a single sponsored post because they don't know how to uh, market themselves. But um, I would say the fact that the influencer space is constantly um, exposed, it make, definitely makes people more wary, but um, I, don't think it's, um, I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon 
Do you have any success secrets that you'd like to share with us about how to make a sponsored post or how to get to that level or how to be a bit oh. savvier about it? Absolutely. I, I love sharing that kind of stuff. And to be honest, it roots back from my tech sales background. Like, even though I was saying in the very beginning of how, like, my first job out of college working at Oracle was nowhere close to what I wanted to do. But to be honest, like, if it weren't for that and, like, some other tech sales jobs I had, that has what that is ultimately what has built the foundation of what I do. Because when I pitch brands, um, it's like, it doesn't matter whether you're selling technology and software or you're selling yourself for a campaign it all roots down to the foundation is people and relationship building um so i would say number one really showing that you care and that you want to like that you want to help and that you want to get to know that person on the other side um obviously there is there's some kind of um there's an end game for that, but number one, genuinely connecting with people, um, I, I'd say is the biggest thing in marketing and sales. So um, as long as you can connect with people and um, you can create a template for yourself in terms of what kind of, not so much, not solely what kind of ROI you can bring, but why you, uh, you stand against the crowd, this crowded space of why X brand should work with you. Mm. Uh, and then it's, it's, it's funny because sometimes people will reach out to me and they're like, oh my God, like how do I get a sponsored post for all that kind of stuff? And then, because then when I share my template, which will showcase like, oh, being featured in like Forbes or like Huffington Post, people will say like, oh, like, like I don't have that kind of uh, visibility or that kind of press. Like, but I'm like, I'm like, I didn't either. Like you start from somewhere and like, like you, that kind of stuff will happen as you put the work in it. It's not like, oh, like I have to have this, this, and this in order to get a sponsored post. Like yeah. I, I essentially started from zero in terms of like, um, I mean, minus the fact that I was building for my audience, but just the fact that like I started from scratch. It's not like I had all these press features or like I had all these like brand collaborations from the get-go. It's like yeah. every, or even Gary Vee sits this all this all the time. Like we all start from zero. And Yeah, these I, weren't people in your contact list, essentially. You had to really go out there and find them and like you said, genuinely connect with them in order to be able to collaborate exactly and yeah. i can't tell you how many times like throughout like to this day like people that i've connected with from like years ago because i always loved going to networking events since i was like 16 17 like like those people will somehow like pop up now like like oh i emailed this brand and they the person behind it happens to be this person i met at like a advertising agency conference like four years ago so it's like you just never know and it's always like the power of connectivity is so crucial and then what would step number two be um step number two i would say is keep building what like keep building the content that you want to showcase to the world so i'm gonna uh use of course my experience as an example but like as so step number one networking 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 and um having that background but also from number two perspective building the content documenting everything as you go so people get to know more of who you are and what you represent so like from for myself for instance it was like going to all these restaurants and these events and hotel openings and then also showcasing my day-to-day -day and like really giving people that glimpse of uh, of who you are who you are and how you live your life um, and then as you build that kind of content then that goes back to like 
what kind of brands um, resonate with with your livelihood that would essentially um, strike a chord with your audience. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah. And do you have any routines to share with us? Do you have any routines that you do on a daily basis that you feel help you, um, you know, achieve your goals within what you do? Oh, absolutely. I thrive off routine. I love routine, especially during this time. Like that's how I'm maintaining normalcy. But for me, um, my routine is getting up at five in the morning, meditating, making my bed. Um, I mean, I, I currently can't physically go to a, a yoga class right now, but um, I've been doing an, uh, an hour of online yoga. And yeah. after that, I take a shower and I love, I, I love listening to a podcast while making my uh, morning breakfast smoothie. And it's like, it's like my, the fact that I start my morning at 5 a.m. And then this goes on between like five to like seven, this whole routine that I'm sharing with you, because that's, yeah. I don't, I also don't look at my phone the first few hours of the day because like any kind of like notification, no matter how, like if it's like the best news ever, like I just don't want to see that in the morning. Like in terms of like, I don't want to see any kind of notification, whether it's good or bad or anything like, and that just like creates a trigger point. So I even have a digital clock that wakes me up because I want to like look at, I want to start my morning without a screen. But yeah. I know some people will like drive into work, but I think it's so important to have that like at least if not two hours, at least that first hour to like have that time for yourself. And that for me is my meditative escape minus like the actual meditating portion. Yeah. I th that's, that sounds like a really, like a really good routine. And where, where did you come across it and how did you get get into it? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I am, I would say it's funny because um, I know as we are creatures of habit, like it's, you know, these things don't happen overnight, but like these, this routine has started like with like little bits and pieces that, ha that have essentially contributed to this whole conglomerate. But um, I, I know that like, for me, mindset is everything. So I knew there was a lot of things that I wanted to, uh, I don't like change for the better for myself. So that was from like, starting the morning with a clear head. So that for me, like, I listened to a lot of different podcasts. Um, and like a lot of them would share how they don't look at their phone or like how a lot of them um like start their mornings really early so I learned that there yeah and um and then even also going back to like my food journey from years ago I always remembered I, I there was another point in my life where I used to wake up at five in the morning because I just loved the mornings and like knowing that no one else is up I mean well obviously there are people awake but you know for yourself like that's not a time that you can be interrupted um so there's a lot of different um, people that I uh, admire um, that have the same routine and you've built it into your, your own routine. Is that right? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And that adds to the alter ego. What was that? That adds to the alter ego that you were building in the past, right? Exactly. Interesting. Very good. So, if I was to ask you, what was your super strength? What would you say? Oh, that's a great question. Um, my super strength, I would say my positivity and optimism. Um, that's something that I definitely, that has helped me through my couple days. Um, so, and I, I know that it's not something that 
it's it's really hard to stay positive no matter how tough the going gets but that for me has always kept me uh, resilient and strong no matter what i've gone through would you describe yourself as a spiritual person yes and that's who i strive to become as well like a, a spiritual in progress very powerful very good and the whole law of attraction that kind of builds into that right Oh, absolutely. And like the power of our mindset is like something that I live by to my core. What scares you the most? Oh, what scares me the most? Um, to be honest, it's, this is obviously inevitable, but uh, death. I mean, some people, I mean, we all, we're all entitled to our own opinion, but that for me, I don't know, I just remember growing up, like I'd always, like, I think because it was like a fear that I've had as a little kid, <laughs> that it stuck with me because the idea of it is so saddening and scary, but at the same time knowing that it is inevitable. Um, but then with that fear comes the fact that we have to, um, like during this uncertain time, for instance, like it's like it really makes it clear what's most important in life, so. Um, I think with that fear comes its own level of strength, if that makes sense. What's yeah. the most important thing to you? Oh, most important? Family and health. If, if I can pick, I'm like, family's health? Health of family? But yeah. <laughs> I'm like trying to create it into one conglomerate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I would say definitely, um, yeah, no, 100% family. And just going back to the fear of death, you know, with the current, um, with what's going on at the moment with the coronavirus, has anything, do you feel things are going to be different in any way for you after the dust has settled? Do you think there's, there'll be any new perspective that perspectives that you'll take on board or like, will, will, there, will there be a shift because of this crisis? Oh, totally. I think it's going to be shifted into like a, a new normal for, for for lack of a better word in terms of like nothing's going to be truly like the same because I think everything this is such a pivotal moment in history or that we're all experiencing um it's like I think I don't know even I'm just I'm trying to fathom it as I'm thinking about my response um I think wow um, yeah, I think there's definitely a new level of normal because it's not going to be the normal no normal that we all knew before March, essentially. Yeah. Um, I think I think we're going to be experiencing, or I think we're going to be figuring that out as we go once this um, goes over. Kimmy, I often ask um, the guests that come on if they could go back in time, any point in time in history or forward in time, which one would you choose? Oh, I would say, oh, that's a really good question. Because I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't say go back in time because I've learned that like, even though there's so many things that we would change if we were to go back, but at the same time, those puzzle pieces and like our journey is no matter like how many failures and losses or like wins and all that, like all those have essentially created the moment to where we are now. But I would say I would like to fast forward to the future in terms of like knowing what's, having a glimpse of what's next. 
I see. That would be my answer. So how how much forward in time would you go? Um, I, I would say, um, I would say like, um, let's say 10, I would say 10 years. 10 years. Hmm. Says, what about you? I've never asked you this. What, if, what, if I could go back or forward? Yeah. And which point in time would that be? Well, you know, just as you asked the question, I was thinking about it and, um, I know it's so difficult to say because what what I'm thinking in my mind is like what's going to happen in the future is it going to be a good time am I going to want to see it or shall I just go back somewhere you know 200 years ago and just and just go and be a doctor in those times see what it was what it was like I think both would be really interesting um but if I had to pick I think I would go forward as well actually maybe maybe a good 40 years just to see a really big difference and see you know where the world is heading i think it would yeah. be really interesting the exponential yeah. yeah what about you oh i definitely go back in time like, you'd go back yeah easily oh, wow. like, a, good Without a good 200 years yeah yeah easily <laughs> well, well why because man i'd be the king like <laughs> 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 no, I'm joking. No, because uh, actually it's because of the planet. Like I'm very into nature and, um, you know, I had that interview with Tawahu from Coral Gardeners. And we, were oh, talking, yeah. and we were talking a lot about the corals and the sea life. And as you know, I'm a surfer and scuba diver. So going back, with, going back to see what that was like and what true coral reefs looked like in their raw form, I think that for me would be like, I'd die happy, man. Mm. See all the animals and stuff. Yeah. That'd be yeah. Good. Should we do some word associations? Well, you know, I was right. I was just about to say that. Yeah, you like those, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> I do. I do. Cool. Um, so I've got five words here. Says, do you want to pick five as well, and then we can? All right. So you go with your five, and then I'll think of some. Cool. Cool. You ready, Kimia? Ready. Cool. Networking. Connection. Family. There's so many words that I'm like trying to like pick one. First one. Uh, togetherness. Success. Power. Health. Ease. Technology. Advancement. Stars, you're up. All right, let's go. Um, so first one, strawberry. Yummy. <laughs> Dinosaur. Jurassic Park. Mars. Outer space. Chinese food. Orange chicken. Park. Picnic. Very good. Interesting choice of words there, Saz. <laughs> yes, thank you. I knew, I knew you'd have a comment about that. <laughs> Orange chicken. I haven't had that in ages. I was about to say, I feel like, I, I don't know why I said that because I was going to say, I feel like I've read articles that specifically said orange chicken is not Chinese food. <laughs> I think it just brought me back to my time of like, when I used to love things. Californian Chinese fusion. <laughs> exactly. So what are the plans next then for you in terms of projects, private life, um, 
podcasts are you going to feature on anymore yeah um i was i think there was one that i did recently or is coming up but um in terms of projects uh i have a couple campaigns the ones that are still remaining i'm i'm going to work on those um let's see what else like things have definitely shifted and um for me my main focus is as i figure that out um also shifting gears for um the telemedicine startup i work with and figuring out like how to you know how to get the tiktok organic channels running and on that and like basically taking this time to hone in on um things that i want to learn more about whether that's like TikTok or um, staying ahead of digital marketing trends or um, there was also a course that I'm um, I don't know if you guys saw this because everything's been going so viral but Coursera is offering a ton of free classes from a variety of the Ivy League schools and I actually saw one on viral marketing that I recently enrolled in so taking this time and then also learning more about um, financial um, freedom and I love that topic as well and that's something I want to dive more into so given the time we're in really uh, wanting to tone it down a notch and um, take time for things that I you know that we've all wanted to do but always put on the back burner and I've spent a lot more time with my family um, during this time so um, those are what's coming up um, and then I'm still in the meanwhile, I have been um, in touch with brands, but it's so interesting to see how a lot of them have been either responding saying like, oh, we're currently on pause or like our budgets are freezing for now, but um, we'll keep you in mind like once things blow over. So it's interesting to keep a pulse on that as well. Yeah. And how they're responding to this. Yeah, it's very interesting to know that um, companies are actually struggling, especially from a cash flow point of view, because um th things are just freezing at the moment yeah no it's it's absolutely insane how have you advised some of your clients to proceed in a, in a crisis like this for them i've advised that it's important to for instance like for any content that they're pushing out for it to still stay true to the brand but acknowledging what's going on or like shifting gears in terms of like making that content malleable so it touches on what's going on in the world because if you proceed as if nothing's happening, it, it, it shows, and honestly, quite frankly, it's, it's rude. Um, yeah. it, 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 she seems um, like you're oblivious or ignoring what's actually happening. And of course, at the same time, like there's also this fine line of like, we want to stay optimistic and all that, but like, we can't be, we can't be able to see the situation and act like nothing is wrong. And because it's, this is impacting everyone in some shape some way, shape, or form, no matter how trivial. Like, I don't think any impact is trivial. So, um, but yeah, no, it's been really interesting. Yeah. One of my professors always said that if you're going to come into someone else's space, whether it's a mobile phone or if it's in their house, um, you have to come with respect. You know, you have to be relevant and you have to bring some value. Otherwise, like you said, it's almost disrespectful and rude. Um, you know, and, and I think at the moment, a lot of people are sensitive and it's, it's quite hard to preempt how their, you know, what their thoughts are, how they're going to react to your content, because 
um, you know, this isn't something that they're used to. I don't think in our lifetime we were ever expecting to experience this. Right. No, exactly. You mean like content creation and stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because if you come yeah. back with an ad for something that they've just bought 10 minutes ago, or if you come in with um, a piece of content, which you think, you know, they're seeing a lot of by other accounts, then you have to yeah. take into account. Otherwise, it's quite disrespectful. I mean, in, in general, it's quite a new concept, isn't it? Because, you know, thinking what, to when I was younger, I mean, we barely had internet. It, it, was, it was something so new. And now it's developed so so quickly and so fast that um, uh, things are evolving all the time. So, and some people may not be uh, used to those new concepts. Yeah. Right. So crazy. Oh, the simpler times. Well, it was a pleasure having you on. Uh, I think what you're doing out there is really great. And I think the evolution and the progress you've made is, is a testament, you know, to your hard work and all the other things that you've worked on in, in, in the darkness and in, in behind the scenes. Um, so I'm not sure if you have any more questions or any comments, but um, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, me too. No, just to say, yeah, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's been great to get some uh, good insights. And yeah, I think we definitely have to do a post-COVID one um, to ask you some more questions and uh, yeah, chat a bit further. Absolutely. It's been wonderful speaking with you both and getting to know you guys. Thanks, thanks. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take it easy. All right, Kevin, we'll speak to you later. Bye.